Welcome to Unbooking the Territories. We continue our journey through the highest and lowest TV rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees Kevin Sullivan, Terry Taylor's and Ed Ferrara's highest rated episode. My father, I smell his presence also. I feel it. And here's Terry Taylor representing World Championship Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, I stand before you as a proud member of the WCW Executive Board. And we have the following announcement. The Red Rooster is going crazy. He's so excited. I stand before you as a man. I stand before you as a real man. Who was bathed in barbecue sauce last Sunday night. Oklahoma, you know when you wear that hat, you're nothing but big hat and no cattle. I don't think this is what Aretha Franklin meant. I Booker man. Oh, he said, I respect you. Thank you. And he walked. So how are you this week, Dan? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad at all. It's absolutely mafting in the room I'm in. So if I do go quiet at any point, it's just that I've sweated so much I've passed out. Uh, how are you doing, pal? Yeah, I'm doing good. Doing doing good. It, it is incredibly hot. I feel like I'm melting, but... Yeah. I'm, no, I'm no, sweating no, butter. Knowing the British summer, we'll only get three days of this, and then we'll be, yeah. Back into winter. I fucking hope so. I want some snow back. <laughs> it would be nice. We've got a guest on this week's show. And actually, I think we're setting a record because, you know, we do have Beth on every week with the beers of the week. And Steve-O's been on and then we've spliced him in a couple of times that he didn't know about. But this is the first guest we've had that's making an official third appearance on the show. Yeah, I can't believe it. Somebody's actually come back three times if you listen to us on the uh, the UTT feed. Uh, hint, hint, go check out the bonus episode. But yeah, we've, uh, who have we got back, Rob? I'll let you do the intro this time. We've got Sarah at Turd Ferguson on Twitter. Back for a love of everything um, WCW and the, uh, the late 90s. And if you ever want to know anything about Tori Wilson or Norman Smiley, she's your lady. Yes, hello. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, really glad to be invited back. And uh, yeah, I didn't quite realise this would be my third appearance after the, yeah, after the, the kiss one. But yeah, I'm good. I'm also very, very warm, but I have a fan. So that's not causing any interference, is it now? I've just put a fan on. Not that we can hear, but I asked this last time when I had one of my, <laughs> when I had a fan on and it turns out you could, but I can't hear anything coming from it now. No, uh, it's a very small fan, but yeah, other than being a little bit sweaty, I'm really well, yeah. So, so you've got a sweaty fan stood behind you. It sounds like um, yes. an average Brit rest show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rob, you wit with your cutting remarks and observations. <laughs> and being entirely fucking accurate. So it looks like everyone's drinking. Probably sounds like everyone's drinking for the listeners. So what, what are people drinking? I have got a South Australian Merlot. So I'm on the wine. Uh, I have just had a whiskey as well, so I'm now moving on to the wine. It's really nice. Hints of vanilla, that type of thing. Nothing else to say about it, really. It's just a, a South Australian mellow. Sarah, bring in the class again, talking about that stuff made <laughs> with grapes that me and Rob don't know out about because it gives us nasty hangovers. Uh, the only thing I know that's made out of grapes is grapes. One <laughs> <laughs> <Born> raisins. <laughs> Great Fanta. Oh, I love Great Fanta. Fat oh, fruit twist is where uh, where the money is in Bama. Mm. Oh, let's not start. Let's not start a Fanta war. Fanta let's just uh, let, let's just all go drink Lilt instead. 
Yes. Sounds like a plan. What are you drinking, Dan? Moving through this month's Beer 52. Uh, I'm on uh, Varianica Craft Brewery Pale Ale. It's 5.2%. It's, it's all right. It's another one. I, I don't know Pale Ales that much, but it'll do. Again, it's it's another one. It's kind of a sort of path of the course, Beer 52. I, I get it every other month now, and you get the odd gem, but most of them are sort of like just nice, middle-of-the-road, easy-drinking type of things. I like Beer 52 when they do beers that I'd never normally get, so... Like they did an Austrian box and they've done an Australian box and all this sort of stuff that perhaps you wouldn't get. But if they're doing a Yorkshire box, I'd have drank all that stuff anyway. So they did yeah. do a Yorkshire box yeah, fairly recently. Yeah, it was it was decent. But and I'm with you. They had uh, actually some point last year they had a really good Belgian box and they had the Czech box as well. So yeah, I like I like the nationality theme ones. I can't remember what this one was, but anyway, it's wet and it's beer. It'll do. Sometimes you get a what's left in the Beer 52 warehouse box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bar, what would be like in a supermarket, the bargain bin. Yeah. Although I don't, I don't know. It, it's nice. And it's always that moment of excitement when you get the box. It's like a present that you've had to pay for. But so, no, I, I, I like Beer 52. So school night again that we're recording on. So I'm going to start out with um, some session IPAs. So I'm starting out with Rollover. It's called Session IPA. And uh, that's from Whiplash brewery and then i'm going to go on to a longboard island lager and that's from kona brewing company and then i'm going to head to the fridge and get more very nice i've got um, a couple of uh, i've got one hazy pale ale and a hazy uh, sorry and a new england ipa lined up uh, after this varianica from uh, the garden brewery so we'll uh, we'll see how they go just dis- both described as juicy and tropical so that'll give me one of them's flavoured with a bit of pineapple. So I'm happy. Excellent. So now it's time for the beer sommelier section of the show where the listeners can sit back and relax and be the virtual Nia Jax and we'll be the virtual Reginald and recommend a beer that you should drink while you're watching this episode of Monday Nitro. So Sarah, what, uh, what would you recommend people would drink? I'm going to stick with wine because I love wine. <laughs> so, um, I was, well, I don't love all wine, to be honest. I, I only drink red. So if I were to recommend another nice red, it'd be, uh, shall we, can get it actually. Uh, someone introduced me to it. I think they only stock it at certain places and it's called The Banished and it's a blend. I'm not sure if you guys have, you're, you're not wine guys, are you? you won't have had it. Anyway, no. for those people who do know it, it's a really nice wine called The Banished. And I just wanted to, to recommend it just because it's, it's really lush. It tastes so nice. Didn't give me a bad hangover, but, I drink wine a lot, so maybe I'm just used to it. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> the only the only things I know about wine at the minute is that there's three different brand, uh, three different versions of a wine called 19 Crimes, and that's just through picking okay. up my parents shopping. Uh, to be honest, yeah, I would also recommend 19 Crimes, but not the one infused with coffee. I bought one that we had a shot of coffee in it, thinking it would be the best thing ever. It just made me feel sick because I felt like I drank like a glass of wine but then the aftertaste was as if I'd had an iced coffee and it was just weird uh, so I would not not recommend the 19 grams with coffee in it, it it's horrible That's, uh, that sounds terrible <laughs> I, was, I was almost talked out of it as well but as I was told later in the night when I was moaning that I had nothing to drink I wanted it and I wouldn't be talked out of it but yeah <laughs> I was told by, by Gav that I brought the stupid coffee wine and I've got to live with it, which I did, and it made me feel really sick. 
Oh dear. The only thing I know about wine is when I was at uni, we used to get um, this Bulgarian wine. It was two bottles for a fiver, and it was from Boozbin, and it was near where we lived. It was cheap. That sounds rough. Uh, it was just tasted like vinegar. Well, it's funny you should mention that because at the time it was all right, uh, and then uh, about ten years ago, I saw this same brand uh, in in one of the local um, off licenses, and it was still two for a fiver. Which uh, was just craziness. <laughs> so I bought it, and I think it had been on the shelf since then because it did taste like vinegar. Yeah. Oh God. It's when you went down the chippy the following week, and they were splashing a bottle on the chips. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so much for Bulgarian wine. Do you have any recommendations, Dan? I do. Um, I've gone back to my uh, gone back to type and gone for a beer that sort of represents my uh, loosely my feelings on the show. So I've gone for a beer that was middle of the road but if you weren't in the mood for it you'd just be pissed off with and that's a uh, cold stone cream austin by top rope brewing company um i gave it a 2.5 it was a decent enough middle of the road pale ale not gonna blow you away but if you sort of picked it up and thought yeah you know when you drink something or eat something you think oh yeah i love that and then i don't really fancy that now it's just put me in a bad mood yeah it's fair enough the um chocolate orange version of that is very good it um, is. Yeah. I'm recommending House Party by Lervig Brewery, a Norwegian brewery. Uh, I believe I've recommended them before and drunk Lervig beers on the show before. But the reason I'm recommending this 4% IPA House Party is because of the wedding reception for Vito's sister on the show that uh, looked uh, more like a house party than, as Disco Inferno claimed, the $140,000 wedding reception that it claimed to be. It looked like they'd repurposed the marquee from the Lodi Nitro party that we covered with Wing Commander Nash. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think they actually had. Yeah. <laughs> A little tie in there, though, Dan, because you might have noticed that in this episode, Disco Inferno is now friends with the Mamelukes, or as they're being rebranded, the Pisons, Big Vito and Johnny the Bull. Mm-hmm. Now, you may remember from the Nitro party, there was that guy who was you know, the main guy shouting about how much he loved Lodi. Yeah. The idea had been to bring him in as a massive Lodi fan, and he's actually the guy in the episode that we reviewed with Wing Commander Nash who hits Lenny Lane on the top of the head with the sign. Oh, and fair enough. Because of all the Ferrari with uh, Glad, etc., and they have to abandon the Lenny Lane storyline, mm. they changed that because he was going to be a Lenny Lane and Lodi superfan. And they repackage him as the son of a mobster who sends Big Vito and Johnny the Bull after Disco Inferno to collect a debt. Fucking hell. Clear, logical storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> it's Tony Mameluke. That's who uh, we've we put a name to uh, the guy from the Lodi party now. Great. <laughs> so now it's time for Beth's Beer of the Week. And Beth's Beer of the Week is Day Shift by Fierce Brewing Company. And Beth's Beer of the Week there is Day Shift by Fierce Brewing Company. It's a 5% IPA. Again, I don't know why she's recommended this one. She gave it uh, 1.25 out of 5. I've given it 1 out of 5. Just in defence of Fierce Brewing Companies, I have given some of their beers very high ratings. Their bourbon maple pancake pale ale was excellent. I gave that a 5 out of 5. I actually had it on this show. Yeah, I've had um, a few. In fact, I got Fierce's fifth anniversary uh, pack fairly recently. 
Well, in fact, it wasn't that recent. But anyway, uh, they're, they're a, again a, like a maple imperial stout in that pack that was absolutely delicious. I've got a 14% Cherry Bakewell fierce brewing stout in the cupboard that I'm looking forward to. Oh, yes. Now you're speaking my language. But, so yeah. that sounded like I was going to mug you for the beer. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little bit excited on that one. Sorry. You're, you're getting the day shift then. <laughs> if it's free, I'll drink it. Let's not for, let's not forget the uh, the twenty pint box of Landlady. So normally at this point in the show, we've gone to a new creative team. We'd uh, look at Bill Bush logging into LinkedIn, but all these guys are sat around backstage at WCW. So Ed Ferrara, up until previous week before this team comes together, is writing the show with Vince Russo, as we covered last episode. He's left now. Sullivan and Taylor have been the previous team before that. Sullivan's actually started wrestling again. He's been in the Varsity Club and been wrestling. And Terry Taylor's been working in talent relations. So three guys sat around in catering and Bullbush is going to uh, put them in charge of creative for the show. Yeah, it's a bit of a hodgepodge, isn't it? He's just gone, well, you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. He's already doing it. Work it out. I would argue, though, at this point, I mean... Sullivan and Taylor, last time they'd been in together, the ratings went down every single week. Every every time they, they booked a show, they got less ratings than the week before. Yeah, but it's easier to do than to put any thought into it or hire anybody new. Yeah. They got the they did the best they could for the least amount of money. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just kind of all botched together, I think. It's, it feels like he's gone, you know, Russo's gone. It's just been thought, oh, fuck, how do we, how do we plug this hole? How do we do it quickly? Okay. And how do we do it in such a way that it's not going to cost us the earth? Yeah, and I think that's what they did. So Sullivan, Taylor and Ferrara uh, are going to have an average of 2.7 for the time that they're in charge of creative. This compares to the previous period when it was Russo and Ferrara who had an average of 3.21. And it compares afterwards to when Russo and Bischoff are going to work together and the average will sneak back up to 2.83. The episode that we're reviewing today is is the high, and that's a 3.6, and it's on the 14th of September 2000. And it's actually really timely that we've got you back on this show, Sarah, because the last time that you were on the show, we reviewed another episode of Nitro, and again, it was a high. And, and both of those were because, in the first instance, Raw wasn't on that night because of the Westminster Dog Show. And in, in example for this show, Raw's going to start at 11 o'clock at night because of the Westminster Dog Show. So <laughs> we're almost exactly a year on from the first time. Oh. But, you know, the, the ratings are significantly lower yeah. than, than last time they went on a pose. So that 3.6 looks good on paper. But, mm. but when you start to think about them being on a pose, maybe it doesn't look so good. The lowest episode they end up having is the last episode in charge on the 3rd of April 2000. It goes down to a 1.8. Uh, and we're not actually going to cover that one because it's a clip show. And we thought it's pro- probably it's more important to actually cover something reflective of the writing. And you can say, yes, it's, an, you know, it's a clip show, so it got low ratings. But there's been a lot of clip shows on both Raw and Nitro over the years. They do at least one a year. And none of them have hit the lowest episodes that we've come across. So I think there is a bit of a reflection on this team as well that they'd mm. take the interest out of the product. I think what it says is when you can't get viewers in for a clip show, it it, it says to me that these are the best bits from whatever time period 
and people looked at it it's gone yeah they might be the best bits but we still got, don't want to go back and watch them yeah nobody wants to watch it even though it's the best bits i mean i was what i've been 12 at this point so i've been watching since like 96 and even i knew at like 12 it, it wasn't what it was yeah mm. like it's all kind of just obviously like a one big blurred memory now but i knew it, i i wasn't enjoying it as much basically yeah and i think it, it speaks as well to the um i've drawn parallels between this era of wcw and the and where we started with, on this show with with wwf as it was and the disparity in tone the low ratings and, and this this average rating for uh, sullivan taylor and ferrara just it kind of hammers it kind of hammers it home that's a that's a raw 95 average rating yeah and, and wcw were clearly losing in the ratings obviously at this point they'd gone past their 83 weeks or whatever it was that they were ahead so i'd still not watched wwf e at this point <laughs> so yeah it'd be good just to see the comparison obviously not now but it'd be good if you guys did a show with raw to see the comparison because i'd never watched them so that's yeah it's interesting yeah, I mean, we are covering the raw ones, yeah. but they're, they're, they're um, a lot more stable in their writing teams at the moment. So yes, I can they're, imagine. They're not yeah. every 10 weeks. I mean, we'd spoken before the last time Sullivan and Taylor were in charge of creative about how it felt like a football team when it's relegated, how there's just less people in the stadium, there's, you know, less money's being spent, the production isn't as good, the star, you know, some of the stars have gone and... You know, that, that's really how it felt during Sullivan and Taylor's last last period. So the low show that we're going to review after this is going to be from the 28th of February, and that's a 2.1. So we're not we're not going to cover that 1.8. But yeah, not not a pretty picture in terms of in terms of the ratings at this point in WCW. No, not at all. But well, you say we're not going to cover the clip show, but you know, unless we do another bonus, you never Why know. Not? But, prob- but, but probably not. You <laughs> <laughs> never know. We'll see how we feel. So this episode, as we say, it's 14th of February 2000. It's from the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York, the home of WrestleMania 2, or at least one one third of the home of WrestleMania 2, because WrestleMania 2 was across three venues. At this point um, in 2000, you could probably have got about 15,000 uh, people into the arena for a wrestling show. There has been quite a bit of improvement in Nassau Coliseum since that point. But there was 8,160 people in attendance for this episode of Nitro. Which um, is a respectable, it's a, it's a half-decent number in, you know, well, in general, but not for, not for the size of arena it was and... Not for well, not if you believe the uh, the types of attendances that I remember being reported on WWE every week because WWE would, to my memory, open Raws in, in this period and say we're at X, we're at such and such a place in front of X amount of people, and it always and the number the number always felt believable even with the uh, the wrestling padding. Yeah, but the, there's WCW do that as well, if you remember. That time they were in Las Vegas and they said they had 18,000 and it was eight. Yeah, but that was just stupid and I saw through that because I know that arena. <laughs> the arena doesn't <laughs> hold 18. Yeah, it, it does, but barely. And that's when you're watching boxing and you've got a very different stage and walkway and people are a bit closer to the, you know, possibly a bit closer to the ring and things like that. So, yeah, that's why I saw through that one. Yeah, and, and we've we've mentioned before in previous episodes that often they will look to 
only maybe run half the arena. They'll have set the stage up halfway down. Yeah. So they, they maybe never, ever intended to try and sell out 15,000. So, you know, I mean, some of these Raws were reviewed were like 1,700 people and whatever. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's 95 Raw numbers in ratings-wise, but not, not 95 Raw crowds, thankfully. No, not at all. So now we're going to go through the show and go through our memorable moments, whether they be good, bad, or just notable, and come out with a combined list of the top five moments of the show. So, Sarah, as you're the guest, which is your first one? So the first one I'm going to go with, I mean, it's not specific to this episode, but it's definitely demonstrated in this episode, is uh, Luger's heel run is really good. He makes a terrific heel. Like, he just looks like a dick. Um, He's got a really good (laughs) face that is just... Because Luger, up until either this point or a few months beforehand, I've only ever known him as face, kind of with Sting or in the Wolfpack or whatever, like pure, pure WCW face. And his heel run was just fantastic. And then with what happens later in the night and what uh, I think Tony Chivoni mentions it, oh, he's attacked uh, a few people over the, the, the past few weeks. I just think he's terrific. I think he plays it really well and he looks good as it as well with Miss Elizabeth. So that, that was one of my notable points. Yeah, he's going through this whole arm breaker gimmick at the moment, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's doing people, yeah. <laughs> puts a chair there, goes to stamp on it. There's a bit in the match with Terry Funk and Luger where you know, uh, he's trying to do it to Terry Funk. And, you know, later on, Lucha Underground are going to use pretty much this exact storyline with Pentagon for an entire season where he just, you know, his music hits, he comes in, he breaks someone's arm and he leaves, and they don't do anything else but manage to make him one of the biggest people in the company just doing that. And, you know, that this is the genesis and inspiration for that. Yeah, I, I did like it at the time because it did feel like they were making him a legit, legitimate threat. Because some mm. the best one in the world with Luger, sometimes he can just feel a bit there. You know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. But with the right angle and the right uh, kind of push, he, he would be very, very kind of dominating, really, the size of him. And he looks amazing. I'm not sure how old he is in the year 2000, but he looks amazing as well. He was an absolute specimen, was Luger. But yeah. the thing that it just, in watching these backs, obviously I've got no nostalgia for this era of WCW because I never watched it, but it's the shitty Terminator knockoff music and he just it's like he just strolls out wearing his PJs. Yeah. <laughs> you said on the previous episode you wanted a pair of those pants, Dan. I want a pair of, the, yeah. I'm not going to wear them in public. I do want a pair of the trackies with the poppers up the sides. You said there was 70 quid and you were seriously tempted, and now you're saying they're rubbish. <laughs> no, I said he looks like he's wearing out wearing his PJs. I never said I didn't want a set. Dan, if you turn up... Don't put words in my mouth, there, Rob. It'd be amazing. Just turn up with that music on and rip them off <laughs> to start work. I'd look, I'd, look like, I'd look like fucking Ralphus. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I've completely lost my track now. I've just made myself chuckle because I've seen a note that I made that um, when... That when sort of Luger arrived and uh, Elizabeth was with him she, at this point, when she I think she had like a leather jacket on or something. Uh, for some reason, she just reminded me of Sarah Jane Smith from uh, Doctor Who. That's not a bad thing, Dan. No, no, it's not. I'm just it was just an observation. I knew you'd like it, but I did. I did like it at the K-9 start. Kane had been behind them. Oh mate, if Kane had been with him, I'd have been, that'd have been it. I'd have been like, yeah, yeah, Luger, why not? I've just never, I've just never really got on with with Luger. I, I did like what they did here with Funk sneaking in and. 
ripping off the trackies just to catch his nads and then dropping him with a couple of punches. That was a good actually, one of my actually. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Testicular violence always gets a pop. Yeah. Are we going to talk about Luger and Funk? Because I guess you can't say about Luger's heel run with it. And, and to be fair, Luger versus Funk was one of my top five. Mm. It wasn't one of my top five, but it was better than I expected. But I was expecting absolutely fucking nothing. Yeah, I mean, sort of, to my, to my mind, they'd built this show around two big matches. You know, they built it around Hogan Flair and all the hoopla about Hulk Hogan making his return because, you know, they're, they're now not afraid of eating into his appearances and, and pay-per-view appearances that he's going to make because we're sufficiently into the year. And it was built around Lex Luger versus Terry Funk. And obviously, there's a bit of crossover sort of in these matches because Terry Funk's going to fight Ric Flair at the pay-per-view, etc. So it did feel that there was quite a lot of build behind this and they were talking about, you know, what they'd mentioned in the media and that Hogan was built as the the main reason to come. But obviously there's always been that tension between him and Flair. But then you've got this whole dynamic of, of Terry Funk being on the opposite side of that. So in terms of that, as you say, Dan, we got the whole thing with Luger posing and, and ripping off the pants with the poppers. Terry Funk, you know, I mean, he, he was just the classic middle-aged and crazy that we saw during this point. There was actually, in the crowd, were doing a CZ dub chant. I missed that. Really? Yeah. They go to the outside, and then Luger gorilla presses Funk and just drops him onto the table. I give it credit that was that was actually in in the running for my moment of the night. That was amazing. Like to see a unit like Luger take a legend like Funk, just pick him up like he's nothing and just drop him through the table. It yeah. looked fantastic. It really did. I guess in wrestling these days we don't necessarily get, you know, quote unquote the body guys who maybe can do a gorilla press like that to people as easily. But it looked like an awesome spot and it's like why aren't we seeing that more often? Drew, Drew McIntyre could do that. Bobby yeah. Lashley could do that. Um, Bobby Lashley. I, actually th- I actually think a, a move like a gorilla press slam is it's kind of a lost art because you're seeing and just this you know these almost caricatures of people in the way they look like like your Bobby Lashley's. It was just muscle on muscle and McIntyre who's six foot odd and statuesque and even Roman and Roman Reigns as well. But mm-hmm. to see one of them pick the other up and lift them over the head is such it's a superhuman feat of strength but it's something you can relate to you know you try and lift someone above someone above your head who's equal to or slightly smaller or slightly bigger you can't do it yeah and it really is a lost uh, a lost art in uh, or a lost part of uh, wrestling it is and the other thing about this match after funk's been through the table luger's down in the ring and funk goes up for his moonsault and he misses, and he bounces on his head. Watched it again. It was ah, oh, wasn't nice. Well, we, we spoke in a previous episode about Terry Funk doing a moonsault to the outside and hitting his shins on the guardrail. And mm. at the time, Stu said it wasn't Terry Funk; it was Terry Fuck with the crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and again, this was a Terry Fuck moment. I mean, just bouncing his head. Yeah. If we ever if we ever go on to look at ECW Rob, can we make that an award the Terry Fuck moment of the night? Yeah, it's got it's got a bit. 
But yeah, it was uh, Funk doing popping a moonsault off at 54 was impressive. This is two years in, uh, two years past that. He's 56. He's still, and it almost I think the way he landed, it almost looked like he was trying to whack his face on the chair. Yeah, just absolute craziness. I mean, it's always great to see Terry Funk, you know, at this time. And there's been reports of you know him having health issues at the moment. Although that's what the dirt sheets reported. I think Tommy Dreamer said he'd been in contact with Terry Funk and it wasn't necessarily as bad as they were making out. But either way, he's definitely sort of getting up there in age. But, I mean, the things he'd put his body through, it's just, just insane. He, he, he sacrificed a hell of a lot for for wrestling and I hope the uh, the reports of of his health issues have been slightly exaggerated. Uh, well, I hope, I hope they've been greatly exaggerated, to be honest, because he is a legend. He gave so much and... I mean, for for a guy who should have died many times over in the ring, it'd be sad to to sort of see him go down that route. But yeah, here it was it was amazing. It was you, you could even in the two years since you can tell Funk's maybe a shade slower, whether it's because he's aging or just a bit beat up or just you know just maybe not quite on his game that night. He was like there was the world's slowest throw to the outside yeah. at one point, which. You, the guy's fifty six and he's having to wrestle Lex Luger, who was never exactly a ring, you know, ring technician. <laughs> so you know you can't you can't criticise him too harshly. And like I say, just just for the the batshit stuff, like the gorilla press through the table and the, the missing the moon salt hitting the chair, and and the arm breaker stuff, it, it was better than I expected. It doesn't mean to say it was particularly brilliant, but I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. So, given that we're combining the Lex Luger-Terry Funk match with just Lex Luger being a heel in general, I'm more than happy to put it on the top five. What, what's your thoughts, Dan? It wasn't something I was going to go along with, but I think uh, I think you guys and, and I've talked myself into it. Excellent. We've got the first one. What's your next one, Dan? Do you know what? I'm going to stick with the hardcore stuff. I'm going to go for Bam Bam Bigelow versus The Wall. And this stood out to me more so because it was an actual hardcore title match, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's the first time we've seen a hardcore title match on either uh, from either show. Because I don't believe that in any of the in the Raws we've covered so far that um, that the hardcore title had really come into effect. No, we did see Norman Smiley was hardcore champion, and there was that match, and he was facing Jerry Lynn in Nitro Underground, and then... oh, that doesn't that doesn't count. First rule about Nitro Underground is never talk about Nitro Underground. Just never talk about Jerry Flynn and the block. <laughs> but um, I will say, though, the um, the WCW hardcore title, that's a nice belt. Yeah, it is. That is a I very know. nice belt. I liked uh, the wall coming out just carrying a ladder, and he just biffs Bam Bam right in the face before the lights even come up. I like that. There was the usual, you know, trash can shots. Wall throws the ladder. Uh, there's a few of the t- uh, Bam Bam at one point whips the wall into the ladder, and, and Wall does a Wall basically does a Bret Hart stone and first buckle bump straight into the ladder. You've got your typical your typical chair shots. Bam Bam misses his headbutt. There's kendo sticks. Wall goes for the table. Oh, that was it. Wall goes for the table, and Bam Bam just launches himself on the other end of it while he's trying to put it in the ring, and the table springs up and twats the wall in the jaw. That was brilliant, that spot. <laughs> yeah, although it did make me think of that infamous ladder spot where Joey Mercury got his face absolutely exploded, which was which was brutal. 
But you had the wall as well using two trash can lids like symbols and just boxing Bam Bam's ears <laughs> and all of that. It was This stood out for me because it's just absolute hardcore madness and it's different to everything we've ever seen. And we even got a running after the facts from Brian Nobbs. And as we all know, it's amusing to say Nobbs. And he has a tattoo on his arm that says Nobbs. In case he, <laughs> he has knobs tattooed on his arm. <laughs> oh, what a dick. I'm in agreement with this one, definitely, because it, it was on my list, because I just miss... Uh, for one, the hardcore title is amazing. Like you said, it's, it's a great belt. Um, and just the way they come down, I think Bam Bam arrived with just, like, not a wheelbarrow, but a crate of things being, like, pushed to the ring. And I miss that with hardcore matches because that's something you just don't see anymore. He's, he's got a crate, he's wheeling trash cans, kendo sticks and whatever else. He chucks everything in the ring. And you just think, yeah, it's going to be a, a bit of a brawl, this. It's going to be quite good. And I miss that. Like I said, you don't often see that, well, at all now. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with this one. It's a good match. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned this on previous shows, that how much sense does it make that there's all this crap under the ring? At least in WCW, you saw them bringing it with them. Yeah, I, and I was I was used to that. Like, uh, Screaming Norman, as he's known, obviously, because of the hardcore, hardcore stuff, used to just bring stuff with him to the ring to use. And it's, yeah, it makes far more sense for them to just bring it to the match rather than look underneath the ring and find a, a sledgehammer or, a, a you know, a load of tables or whatever. But, yeah. Definitely enjoyed the aspects of WCW. It did, it did seem to make more logic. And I agree with this, that that table spot was amazing. And if we just put in, you know, and I guess this one is just mentioning the hardcore title as well. It, it's a beautiful belt, which you cannot say about the WWF equivalent of the 24-7 title. I don't know. I quite like the 24-7 title. But the WWF hardcore title was, it was designed to be a, a battered broken piece of shit that they just gave to mankind to make him feel good about himself. Yeah. They should have just let him keep Triple H's King of the Ring crown that he squashed and then trying to put on his head. (laughs) That was class. The thing I just wish had been in this match, because, you know, Bam Bam's there hitting the wall with a bin, and I just wish it had been one of those little pedal bins that he ran out and attacked (laughs) Oldberg on in a previous episode. (laughs) Oh, I'm, oh, I didn't see that. I'm going to have to rewatch that now. I'd love to see. I'm a, as much as I'm a Goldberg fan, I would love to see him attacked with a pedal bin. Oh, Goldberg just no sells it. Like he gets waffled in the back with his pedal bin, and he's just like he feels it, and like he, he shrugs a little bit, and then he just yeah. turns around and he's just like, really, you brought yeah, it, that to hit me with. It wasn't a great show, but I gave that my moment of the night because you know, Bam Bam <laughs> looked all round backstage, found this little pedal bin from. He probably brought it from his own bathroom at home. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I'm more than happy to put um, the hardcore title and Bam Bam versus the wall on there. Now that the wall's got rid of the Berlin shackles. Well, the wall crumbled in this match, didn't he? He did, but, I mean, to be fair, it's difficult with Bam Bam because, you know, they'd brought him in and he'd been a big deal in ECW when they brought him in and then they put him straight into that programme with Goldberg and obviously you're never going to go over there. And then he's sort of in the Jersey triad, and you, when, when you stood next to Canyon and DDP, are you ever going to come off well? Mm. Just his body shape and all of that, just he, he seemed like the odd one out, didn't he? He did, and you sort of, uh, well, you know, we've brought in this big star, and all of a sudden he's devalued, and 
Yeah, it is, it is what it is. But I mean, that happens in wrestling these days, doesn't it? You know. Oh yeah. Oh. And how many how many wrestlers over the years have, have come into a half decent start and then been put up against Cena at a big pay per view? Yeah. Or anyone that has to face Cody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because Cody Rhodes must pose. My first one, I am going for the wedding reception. And one of the reasons I'm putting the wedding reception on is that there's a bigger issue here. There's a bigger issue with continuity on this show. You've got three writers mainly in charge of this show with a booking committee sat under them. And Ed Farrar is a TV writer. He's written for mainstream television. He's written for Raw during the highest period. And he's got experience in Nitro. And there's no excuses for some of the crap that happens in this wedding reception. So Big Vito and Johnny the Bull are stood next to Disco in the back. And they're telling Disco that they want to go home. And Disco's going, you can't go home. It's New York City. We have to party. And there is a party one foot away from them. Literally, they take a sidestep and they're at the party. I mean, how they could not have known it was a party. But it's not a party. It's a wedding reception. And Vito goes in, and Vito's sister has caught the bouquet. So Vito goes and talks to his sister that's caught the bouquet. And then the bride turns around, and it's Vito's other sister. So Vito didn't know that this wedding was going on. His wedding. He didn't know it was going on. His other sister's the bridemaid. His entire family's there. But the only person out of this group that knew was Disco Inferno. So the next scene, when they go back to this wedding... Vito is dancing with his sister, who's the bride. And Johnny the Bull gives him an envelope to pass to his sister. And he says, you know, this is for your wedding. It's from the business. Use it for a deposit for your house. So I'm guessing with average house prices in the state of New York in 2000 and getting a 90% mortgage, there must have been 15 grand in this envelope. They must. Why do you have 15 grand for your sister on your person if you do not know? That it's a wedding. Maybe that he just thing. has that on him all the time. Yeah, and maybe, maybe, maybe this was all just a big, re- like a reverse take on the surprise party. They wanted it to be a surprise for the guests. They... But they didn't know. They wanted to go home. Then we get a scene where Vito and Johnny the Bull are introducing Disco Inferno to everyone at the party. So despite the fact that Disco was the only one that knew this party was happening, Disco is now having to be introduced to everyone at the party because he doesn't know anyone. Only one person mentioned it to Disco and he had to keep it a secret, so he couldn't be seen fraternising with the family. Well, who knows? I mean, Vito's grandma gives him the lowdown about how he shouldn't be spitting in the ring, about how he shouldn't be swearing, you know. And and then Johnny the Bull's parents give Johnny the Bull a hard time that he'd got them tickets for this episode of Nitro, and they're complaining the tickets are too far back despite the fact they're in the gazebo, but they're complaining that Johnny the Bull knew they were coming and he's put him in the nosebleeds. But Johnny the Bull didn't think anyone was there and wanted to go home. So that doesn't make sense. And then there's a big conversation about how they came to see them wrestle. And then Vito's grandma's asking, do you have a match this evening? When they've got them tickets to come and see them wrestle. So, so that doesn't make any sense. So anyway, then, then they go out and they have this match with Harlem Heat 2000, which is Stevie Ray and Big T, which is the former Ahmed Johnson, who has won the letter T in a match against Booker T and is now Big T, and David Flair and Crowbar. And 
no, sorry, before that, David Flair and Crowbar come in and just and Daphne destroy the wedding reception. So everyone's covered in cake, and then they have a cakey covered match. And then they have to be put in an ambulance because Vito and Johnny the Bull and Disco are so injured. And they say before they put in an ambulance, they need to make a statement. And despite the fact they're talking right into the cameras, they're telling the cameraman, get Mean Gene back here so we can make a statement. And then Mean Gene comes back and he says, what's your statement? And that then, you know, so they give this statement that they could have just made straight to the camera. And then Vito turns around and points to his grandma, and despite the fact we've met his mother, points to his grandma and says, sorry for the swearing, mom. He didn't even know who was playing his grandma. My head hurts. I mean, there was no continuity. It's literally as if they just improved the whole thing. Do you know the sad thing is? This is so, this thing was so bad, I didn't even notice the terrible continuity. I just completely switched off. Yeah, and the same. I didn't even give it this much thought. I mean, the, the fact that oh, everything you've just pointed out there, I mean, there's a couple of points that I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I noticed that. But yeah, I, I just didn't, I wasn't really enjoying it. So I, I didn't switch off, but I didn't notice anything that, that you just said. <laughs> See, and this is the problem, Rob. Yes, it was terrible, but it committed the cardinal sin of being terrible and completely forgettable to the yeah. point where where we, where me and, like me and Sarah just didn't notice or care enough to notice the continuity errors and the bullshit. But, but yeah, what I'm saying is, this, this is reflective of a bigger continuity issue on the show. At the start of the show, we got three video packages about the three main stories that were happening. And as soon as they finished, they replayed them. We got the same video packages back to back. I mean, that must have been a continuity error. When Michael Buffer's doing the ring entrances, the NWO music just starts playing. Yeah, I noticed that because I was doing my typical thing going N-W-O because I love it. And I was like, oh, where, where did that come from? Yeah. yeah the, Somebody the, pressed the wrong button. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, I mean, there were, there were times when, you know, the, there was a pre-taped interview with Sid and he messed his words up and they didn't bother yeah. him. There was Kevin Nash in his office and there was horrible feedback. And they were yeah. just like, nah, stick it out on national television. Nobody cared. Yeah, quite clearly. Yeah, it was, there was a lot of that. And yet everything you've just mentioned wasn't the worst part of the show, but I'll come <laughs> on to that later. I don't know, mate, like I say, with the, with the Mamelukes, I think, yes, it was awful, the continuity was terrible, but I don't know if I can, if I can in all honesty put it on because it, it just didn't register enough for it to be, to be a factor for me. It didn't register with me either, but it's now that someone has pointed out all the continuity errors, I feel like, yeah, that is really bad. Plus, like with everything else on the show that I did notice, the, the production of it was was pretty shoddy. Yeah. And I, just, I feel bad vetoing it because, Rob, put a, you've put more work into looking at that than anybody ever should have. Yeah. You're going to veto big veto. <laughs> I'm vetoing veto, and you can't veto that. I mean, this is the guy that forgot where he parked his car the last time we saw him on Nitro, so... <laughs> there is every chance he just forgot that his sister's wedding was happening at a Nitro, and he just happened to forget he had a match, and he just happened to forget that he'd got his parents and grandparents and extended family really shit tickets. And that he had 15 grand in his pocket. <laughs> he was a gangster, you know, you've got to have that kind of cash lying around. 
I know you got a bribe. Have a no. So, Sarah, what's your no, next no, one? Uh, my next one. Kind of a small thing, but it really made me laugh. You know, the whole we mentioned it. Obviously, Booker is now just Booker because he's lost his T to Big T. And they had the whole thing of the Harlem Heat, and he couldn't use their music. And I loved his music. I was, oh, I forgot all about that. And the music that he came out to, and just Booker's whole demeanour when he was coming out and kind of high-fiving people, he was he was pissed off. It really made me laugh. I thought it was a, a good, like, humorous thing to do because he can't use his own music. <laughs> I think the thing that stuck out to me about this music as well is it was a match against the demon, and obviously we did the whole bonus episode for the Kiss Demon. So you have God of Thunder, you have the coffin, yeah. you have Dale Torborg looking like a badass, and they're talking about the tour, the lighting, the pyro, the cape he was wearing mm. as well looked awesome. And then Booker T comes out with a face like a smacked ass to that weird, yeah, whatever, like, like kids' that's... TV, 50s kids' TV I think Gene Oakland called it Leave It to Beaver music, which was a, a big yeah. sitcom at one point. Yeah. And then Booker T just comes out and absolutely... It's the definition of a squash match. Yeah. Against the Kiss Demon. It's Demon... <laughs> Booker gets a big back elbow or something like that. Booker ducks the clothesline. There's the kicks to the midsection, the roundhouse kick. Booker gets the axe kick. Spinner Rooney, Alabama slam. Three done so they had all that effort and all that marketing and branding and production value for the demon's entrance for him to get beat in a couple of minutes by booker because booker had the story behind him and there's a bigger issue about this so as we explained on the bonus episode every time the kiss demon appears they have to pay a kiss so not only do they have to pay dale tarborg they have to pay for him to come out and they have to pay every time the lightness is used and i don't know if you saw that in the flashback from last week, Norman Smiley had been decked out like Gene Simmons as well. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> another, another Kiss payday. So I've, I've looked at all the appearances the Kiss Demon had in terms of wrestling matches that were involved in. He, he had 31 matches on TV and four at pay-per-views. And out of all these periods, because he comes in initially when Kevin Sullivan's in charge, and we go through Kevin Nash being in charge, Sullivan and Taylor... Russo and Ferrara, this period at the moment, Sullivan, Taylor and Ferrara, and then, you know, Bill Banks, Terry Taylor and Ferrara, Russo and Bischoff, and Russo on his own. This period right here with these three writers, in 12 weeks, they used him 19 times on TV and one time at a pay-per-view, and they used him (laughs) as a jobber. So they were paying, like, kiss, to wheel him out. I mean, what were they thinking? (laughs) I have heard a theory, and I don't know if it's giving him too much credit, but I've heard a theory that because the because the Kiss Demon was a Bischoff idea and a Bischoff-led tie-in, that the whole idea was to make the Kiss Demon look bad and therefore somehow make Bischoff look bad, even though he'd left the company. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, it said the bookers at the time wanted to make Bischoff look bad. Basically, because I, I was just researching on why the, the Kiss Demon didn't do so well, and that's when I uncovered all that stuff. Yeah, I read that as well. There's a conspiracy out there that Vince McMahon sends Vince Russo to WCW to kill WCW. I think the real conspiracy theory is that Gene Simmons sends the Kiss Demon to WCW for himself and Terry Taylor and Ed to kill WCW. How much, how much was WCW losing this point? Was it still five million a month or had it gone up with the Kiss payments? 
it it was pretty much five million a month. Uh, yeah, it's, it stays pretty steady um, during two thousand. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 in that ballpark. I mean, the problem was they cut back a lot on the expenses. You can but, tell. But the flip side of that is that they're drawing less of a crowd, and just to get into, I mean, Hogan's making his return tonight. Hogan gets twenty five percent of the ticket sales for any nitro that he appears on. That, that's not 25% of the profit, that's 25% of the turnover. So, you know, you've got to pay everyone else. For, and the problem with that is that if, they, if the crowds get bigger and bigger, that 25% escalates up. Mm-hmm. You know, so the paying kiss for Dale Torbard to be a jobber, you know, before they even start 25, you know, 2,000 of the t- 8,000 ticket sales are going straight to Hogan. You know, it... <sighs> Yeah, and they'd spent, as Disco Inferno said, £140,000 on that wedding reception. <laughs> oh, but no, see, I thought that was um, that was privately financed because it was a wedding. You know, they, they can't have expected WCW to pay for that. Well, Johnny the Bull had to pay for those nosebleed seats. So, I mean, that was half the audience the size of that family. Yeah. <laughs> they were all at wedding reception. <laughs> Which says a lot in itself. It's like, oh, yeah, we've got, we've got tickets for WCW, but I hear there's cake over there. <laughs> but you know, for some of the shit we see on this show, I can't blame them. I mean, the the whole this whole segment was on my top five. I'm I'm more than happy to put it on the top five. So yeah, because it started out just with Booker's music, but I mean, just getting into the match and that whole thing with the demon as well. Yeah, all of it really. I think should go on. I'm a little torn on this because I wasn't going to bring this up at all, but I think for the sheer ridiculousness of of all we've just run through and, and the money involved and the effort for nothing it it has to it's it's complete the the juxtaposition of the music was was great like you said but the whole ridiculous of booker losing his tea and all this <laughs> it it just it, it has to go on as pure unintentional comedy and the fact that they're paying him to come, well, they're paying Kiss for that jobber to go out 19 times and just lose <laughs> is ridiculous. I never even, I never knew that uh, until today. That's insane. It, it just makes no sense, though, because, you know, all that time that is there it is there for probably about two years. But in this <laughs> in this 12-week period, like, get him out, <laughs> get him on Thunder, get him on Worldwide. We need more of the Kiss demon. Yeah. What are they doing? Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think it should go on just for that alone now. I'm book- Booker's music and that. Yeah, so we know where all the money in WCW went. Went to Gene Simmons. Well, yeah. <laughs> 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 right, so we've got our third one there. So what's your next one, Dan? I want to talk about Ronda Singh versus Mona. Yes, because a woman's match on these uh, on these shows is just so incredibly rare, and the quality varies wildly. And th- this segment was weird; it left me quite conflicted in how I felt about it. Because I spoke about Ronda Singh on a previous episode and how she'd got over big in Japan as the Monster Ripper, and how she'd got over in Mexico and Puerto Rico and could be a draw and a talent in her own right. And how in, certainly in WWF and to a, to a slightly lesser degree in WCW at this point, she'd basically, it, it, it basically become 
ha ha look at the heavy set woman particularly in this this year you know in this era and earlier on in wwf so it was actually great i was really happy to see ronda being given a chance to work as the monster ripper in the west i thought it was i was i was looking at it going oh brilliant i actually get to see what she can do and then mona comes out and i didn't know mona was molly holly so i thought really? fantastic yeah well I've, I've never seen this before oh um, my god oh wow know. that would have been a really like surprise for you wow okay yeah it was great oh, and nice. then god and then goddamn motherfucking oklahoma comes out oh as the head of the wcw women's division Ridiculous. and i'm there just thinking oh shit I've made, I've made my feelings on oklahoma very clear on these episodes and particularly the last one we looked at was it the last one we looked at or the one before where he was always involved in some bullshit with medusa it was just rampant misogyny but and it, you know this is ed ferrari he's written himself into this he's you know, and he's the head of the wcw women's division and then you've got mark fucking madden putting him over mark, oh, i hated mark madden on this show he was uh, one of my low points actually i listed him and i literally have just wrote i hate mark madden so that's that's ditto <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll be united on a on a point later then um I, but um, this i didn't mind mark madden I, I don't mind mark madden in general i mean the thing is he's a step down from bobby heenan and he's, he's trying to be in that role but the yeah. one thing i will say about mark madden in this segment he put over right at the start monster ripper to the moon you know, he, he's talking about what she's done in Japan and Mexico and everything and trained by yeah. the Hart family. I can't, and then he ruins it all by by making a joke about saying Bret Hart took her to the prom. And then he still manages to be to be skeevy about Ronda Sink. And that was my whole thing. He was he was like he's like a budget Bobby the Brain with a lower brow humour and mentality than Jerry Lawler on this programme. And that's how he came across to me. So, like I say, it was great that he put over Monster Ripper. Brilliant. But then he ruined it. <laughs> but then we actually but then we actually got we actually got to see Monster Ripper and Mona wrestle for a bit. It wasn't long. But they got to showcase a bit of what they can do. You know, and even and even then this is even more conflicting. Oklahoma's on commentary which was a uh, shit moment for me. But even then, then, but then again, he's putting over Monster Ripper and all of that. So like I said, it was a very conflicting segment. The match itself was, was fine. In fact, it was probably the, probably the best actual women's wrestling we've seen on the show, to my knowledge, apart from maybe Asia and uh, Midnight in the, uh, in the six-person tag team match. To, to be fair, all, all the wrestling, you know, we have seen some intergender stuff, but if you just look at the actual women's matches... We have evening gown match between Deborah and Sable. Which where, was a shit. Where the title changed on the woman that could get out of their evening gown the fastest. We had Spice versus Medusa as the first proper match. And Spice, bless her heart, I don't know if she'd particularly watched wrestling, let alone wrestled before. So mm-hmm. it wasn't great, but it was a women's match, even though the refereeing was bullshit because Medusa was in the ropes when they got the cover. This is the and this is the third match, the third actual women's match we reviewed, and it is head and shoulders above the others. Yeah, when you had um, you had Monster Ripper being a monster, just absolutely bodying Mona every opportunity, and not even looking like she's putting effort any effort in. She just has to move or stop, and Mona's on her ass. You know, there's the big slams, the big leg drops, 
are just bodying Mona off the Irish whips, as I said. Mona tries to, uh, Mona hits like a springboard crossbody, so she's showing her athleticism. Um, we've also glossed over the fact that Medusa was brought out to be a referee, um, to be the referee of the women's division, which is the ongoing storyline, if you like, between Oklahoma and, and Medusa. Medusa did actually get distracted at one point and forget to count a two, but that's by the by. <laughs> but then, you know, you've got Mona hitting a missile drop kick for two. Ripper, Monster Ripper trying to physically intimidate Medusa. Mona going for the slingshot sunset flip and then Oklahoma has to interject himself. But Medusa, you know, kicks his arms away. Monster Ripper just belts Medusa out of the ring and hits essentially a, a bonsai drop on Mona. And Oklahoma slides in to count the three. Which... It, this segment, when I saw who was involved and who, and, you know, like Oklahoma coming out, and I thought Oklahoma and Matt Madden together, oh God. And yes, the commentary left a lot to be desired, but this this match was a decent match for the time it got, and in terms of advance, you know, advance the story in a in a logical way without anybody getting demeaned, really. I mean, I think it's got to go on because it's head and shoulders the best women's match we've seen, and I know there's problems with it but there's less problems with it than anything else we've seen. I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. I thought it was a good segment. Like I said, I do, not just this match. I didn't like Matt Madden on commentary the whole evening, to be honest. I, do, I, don't, I didn't like the Oklahoma thing. But the match itself, with Monster Ripper and Mona, and Medusa's referee, I thought was really good. And I didn't know what the competition was doing at this time, also because I didn't watch Raw, but I have seen clips of obviously like, was it around this time that like Vince had Trish on her knees barking like a dog or something like that? And like you said, the, no, the, this was this, that was that was that was years later. Later. Oh yeah. Oh, was it? Oh right, okay, yeah. right. I this was talking. that that was that was like mid two thousands, mid to late two thousands. Oh okay. Um, well, at, you, the, you, at this point, yeah. at, at this point, WWF had the likes of China was obviously one of the biggest. Oh, biggest yeah. stars going at this point. I think by 2000, she'll have been in her possibly in her IC title run. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, well, see, that's that's really good. The flip side of that is Dan that Sable was a massive star, and because she's taken her job away from the boys, they've downgraded from a massive star to standing at the back in the oddities. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the downside of things, and that was all on Taker, which is very upsetting, but not surprising given how he's. Uh, Given how, he's ex- given how he's portrayed himself in public recently. But, yeah, I mean, beyond that, you had the, in WWF at the time, you had, I believe, Ivory was around at this point, Jacqueline. Ivory, yeah. Both could go in the ring when yeah. given half a chance. Yeah, I mean, I've, re- I've obviously re-watched, well, watched and caught up on some of the old stuff because when I first started watching it in 2001, I wanted to kind of go back and, you know, just, just get a couple of years' history on it. But, yeah, going back to this match on Nitro, I, I agree, I thought it was really good. I think it should go on. Excellent. So we've got our fourth one there. Sorry, beer. Looks like everyone's refreshed the drink. So what's everyone drinking now? It's pretty much the same. I've got a full bottle of wine, so I'm still on the same bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. I'm just cracking into uh, one of the uh, the Garden Brewery beers, the uh, the New England IPA. The uh, the Hazy Pale Ale was rather nice. It was pineapple so that'll do for me. The, uh, the New England IPA is all right. Then after that, I've got another Garden Brewery beer that came in beer 52. It's their Coconut and Tonka Bean Milk Stout uh, with vanilla and cacao, 5.5%. Looking forward to that. And then just as one to finish off the night, again, 
beer 52. It's the Golden Bear Pilsner by uh, Medvagrad Brewery. So we'll see. What about you, Rob? I'm currently on a Under the Manhole cover by Binny Brew Co. And that's from Ye Old Curiosity Hop in Otley. And then next I'm going to go on to Tiny Pixie, which is a, another session IPA, Simcoe, Citra and Mosaic. And uh, that's from Wishbone Brewery and uh, it's from Salt Air Wines. Lovely stuff. Excellent. So it's me next. So I am going to go with the maps that they'd been building to for weeks by the sound of the promotion uh, that they were giving giving it. Hulk Hogan's returning to WCW because uh, his contract's going to allow it. And it's going to be Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. And, I mean, the one thing I'll say about this match, even if you don't consider any of the wrestling that's actually in this match, the response Hulk Hogan gets is insane. The yeah. crowd are completely up for him. All the old tricks that we'd seen in the early WrestleManias are working tonight. I mean, Hogan had gone through this period where, you know, towards the end of his time in WWF, he was a bit passe. And he comes to WCW and he's a bit passe. And the NWO had revitalized him. And then he rebooted as the yellow and red Hulk Hogan. And, and nobody was really that interested. But tonight, he's back. And they care again. And I don't, you know, this could be a one night only thing. You know, it, it could be a busted flush at this point. But this night in this auditorium, every single thing he did got a massive pop. And, you know, working against Ric Flair, sort of the old enemy, you know, the, the man who'd been the opposite side of Hulkamania in the NWA being the main face of that promotion against Hulk Hogan was completely the right thing to do. The match itself was. Probably as good a match as you could have expected to get out of Hulk Hogan. It wasn't, I mean, we have seen him on Nitro sort of pulling out unexpected wrestling moves. I don't think it was it was that per se, but in terms of a Hulk Hogan match, it was as good as you're going to get. Yeah, I think you're right. The, uh, I, I liken this match later on to a, um, a Greatest Hits album. It's nothing you've not seen before, but it's put together the crowd love it buffer you've got buffer who you know i've extolled his virtues before i love a bit of buffer and he, he makes every event feel bigger my, my main problem with with buffer's involvement was that the crowd didn't give a shit mm. really there, there was a little bit of a pop there was a little bit there, there, there was a little bit for buffer but they didn't deserve him it was great though on this show the crowd for a lot of it were were a non-factor really. The work rate—they didn't seem to me to be particularly engaging. The vast engaging in the vast majority of the show, and they just went crazy for this. And then yeah. in the main event, went right back to sitting on the hands. But the fact that two performers could pull that out of them—brilliant. Yeah. You know, they did the job. You can't fault it for that. Like you say, it's Hogan Flair is never going to be a, a five-star, you know, technical classic. But it got the people to do something. <laughs> yeah. Well, th this was an, actually next on my list as well. I, I really enjoyed this match. Yeah, for me, it had a main event feel, partially like Dan, you said, because it had buffer. It made it feel really hyped up. And they've been saying throughout the night that Hogan's back first time since October. 
And it was just, well, to, to quote Michael Cole, it was vintage, vintage Flair, vintage Hogan. It, it was bad guy versus good guy. Flair being his typical bad guy self playing the heel. Hogan being Hulk Hogan again. It, it was great. Flair took his usual drop off the top rope and it did all his... Yeah, it was what you would expect. But I really enjoyed this match. Yeah, I found... I was a bit like the, the crowd in the arena. Like you mentioned, Dan, like for this mm-hmm. match, I really perked up. I was like, yes. And then for the main event, I perked back down again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, like like I said, greatest hits album. Yeah, yeah. Really enjoyed it. And the thing that really annoyed me about the main event during the last couple of episodes, we've loved this Sid babyface run that he's had, and mm. he's got back to doing the sort of psycho promos and whatever, and it, it's, it's just not as good as the position that he was in. Yeah, I think, do you know what, this whole, I think this Jarrett-Sid main event was doomed from the start. They're trying to build the intrigue throughout the show with the opening promo that was far too long. And the power struggle between Jarrett and Nash, and then it get you know it gets granted a title match does Jarrett, but it's a US title match, so there's a swerve there, so whatever. But the, <laughs> Buffer's back, but not even Buffer can yeah. make that whatever the in the country fried fuck was Jarrett's NWO music. That that was a dub. Yeah, it's That's dub, doesn't it? That's not his music. Yeah, no. he has been using a version of Kid Rock Cowboy. Yeah, it used to be, it used to be oh. cool. Yeah. yeah. Sid's was dubbed as well in the main event. That wasn't Sid's music, I don't think. Yeah. This I podcast that, yeah. is Sid's dub. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I, don't know what, I don't know what Sid's original music was in WCW, and I don't want to know. And I can almost remember it. As I said, I've never been really a Sid or a Jeff Jarrett fan. So when this episode started and it was hyping that, I was a bit, oh, okay, let's go with it. But interesting as well, didn't only half of Sid's pyro go off? And I'm yeah. pretty sure because of the dubbing or because of the the advertised tech issues at the, the, that were mentioned at the start of the show, did only half his pyro went off? But did the sound cut out as well? Because you couldn't hear anything from Sid. Anything from the crowd, you could just hear the dub music. Yeah, I thought that was just because they'd just dubbed over everything, but I don't know. <laughs> they've, they've done a lot better versions of sympathetic dubs. This is the yeah. WWE Network. Uh, have been a lot more sympathetic with some of the Sid dubs that we've seen. This, mm. they just plastered it on top. But, but I love that Sid thing, that Sid dub. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite ham-fisted edit if it was the edit and it but like I say maybe they did the best with what the what they had after the tech issues but even yeah. then you know that this match got that's supposed to be your top two champions got given I think six minutes at the end of the show yeah it was and it's and I can't again I'm not criticizing matches ending in runnings because that's exactly what was happening on raw for a good long while but it's just yet another Nitro main event that we've covered on this show that was lacklustre did just did nothing for us and just ended ended the show just feeling me yeah so that that's really unfair Dan last week Terry Funk came down with a bottle of whiskey and a branding iron and branded Kevin Nash at the end of the show uh, yeah but that's the, yeah but that's the only <laughs> that's the only one that's the only that's the only memorable end to a WCW show that we've covered as far I, I, as I can put. Was Nash yeah. still in the wheelchair when he got branded? No, this is just before. Just before. Oh, okay, he's like, right, okay. 
Yeah, and Dan's complaining, you know, again, there was another episode that you, where you skipped the last bit of the main event where Lex Luger turned heel and just stopped watching. Well, there was, it didn't feel like there was anything else going to happen. They should have hooked me in better. <laughs> maybe, don't put, maybe don't put the title screen up if you don't want people to turn off. I think the thing is, though, the last couple of Nitros that we've watched, I've, I felt were, were a breath of fresh air and I've gone and watched other episodes of Thunder and Nitro around them. This one, I'm like, uh, I need a rest from this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I have not felt the need to watch anything around any show that we've covered for a long time. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, you know, Cy Powell went and watched extra, you know. Uh, Chris Bellis uh, went back and watched it four times, you know. So but there has been some bingeability factor in there, maybe not for you, Dan, but... Yeah, it, it, even even those that are finding the bingeability factor aren't finding it in this one. In fairness, um, I've in fairness, I've had the uh, Mass Effect two to play. So, ah, is that the the remaster. Yeah. Ah, I've not it's bought awesome. it. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to play that. I found fifty hours to pump into that, but yeah, I'm late for every <laughs> podcast recording. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, like this one, if I had more time, because it's not all spent gaming. Uh, well, some of it is spent gaming, most of it probably. Between gaming and the gym and watching wrestling, that's pretty much all I have to do. But I would probably watch, you know, if you give me an episode next time, if I were to be invited back, uh, I probably would watch, you know, a couple of episodes of Nitro before it. Give it, if I had, I'd probably make a few hours spare to do it because I feel like I've missed out, especially with Kevin Nash getting branded. I mean, I, I would have loved to see that and run it. <laughs> but yeah, I probably would binge a little bit, to be fair, next time. Yeah, we can, we can give you some recommendations, definitely. Mm. And yes, welcome back anytime. But just to go back to your original point, uh, oh, sorry, my original point. Um, <laughs> it's been so long, because we were talking about Hogan Flair, and then we, we just got distracted by Jeff Jarrett, as we always do on this podcast. So do you think that Hogan versus Flair should go on the top five? Yes. And if, if it does go on the top five, this will complete our top five. Is it me next? Yes, you're next. I don't, think, I don't think I've got any... That was my next one, to be fair. I think the only other thing, really, that I've got is a negative. So I don't really want to be on a downer with a negative. So, yeah, I would just put that on. I, I put the wedding reception on. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot about the wedding reception, despite the fact that Vito's sister had caught the bouquet. They threw the bouquet again and Daphne caught it. <laughs> I love Daphne. I was good. Um, I hated it. I hated the screaming. Yeah, it, you got used to it. Like don't when want, it was I don't want to get used to it. No. <laughs> oh, the only that. other good thing I had was I, I wanted to, to kind of give a shout out to Three Count because I love Three Count. Like, I know they were a goofy gimmick and a bit cringy at, like, at first with the, the boy band thing, but the talent they had and obviously what they became to be afterwards was amazing. So I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to Three Count. I, I will agree. I will agree on giving the opener an honourable mention. That really was like proper, sort of get get them out there, get the crowd, try and get the crowd up, like yeah. f- just flippy stuff, you know, flippy shit action. And I'm pretty yeah. sure one of them took a really gnarly looking dive to the outside where he just yes. basically ended up down from the ring and flat back in the floor. Was it Evan? Was it Evan Courageous? I think yeah. It was definitely one of them. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely one of them. And then also you had the, the, the first appearance we've seen on this show of, of Stacey Keebler. 
Yes. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. He's going to be on my mentions as well. I know Tori was there, and I, I am going to get to Tori Wilson. That sounds like a threat. <laughs> and it, was, it was great to see him with Billy Kidman as well, because it's like, oh, like, it's so cute. Like, they were married and stuff. So I like to see Tori and, and Kidman together. But, yeah, Stacey Kleebler was a, a good one. Yeah, with the, wow. I'd, I forgot about the whole Miss Hancock thing. Yeah, I mean, she'd sort of come down to when she was creative control. She'd yeah come to the ringside with a clipboard and sort of tut at uh, what was going on. I, I was <laughs> not from this show, but but just going back into you know some of the other stuff that had happened previously. I was watching a Fonda where it was Medusa versus uh, Sherry Martell, and, and then sort of Stacey Keebler comes to uh, ringside and with a clipboard and being very disapproving of it. I mean, the thing that really got me about this is. Tony Schiavone had promised a treat for the gentleman, being it Valentine's Day. And the treat for the gentleman was that uh, Miss Hancock, who'd previously been in charge of standards and practices, is going to get up and dance on the announce table. And Charles Robinson is going to be so distracted by her, he uh, misses the end of the match. And this is where you got Mark Madden doing one of his, like, Jerry Lawler, but worse uh, impressions. Yeah. Um, Because Tony was trying to be... At least appear respectful, saying he wasn't going to look. Yeah, and did then, he see uh, table or something? Yes, he did. Mark Madden yeah. said he glued a mirror to the table, and this is why. Like, I was going to before we before we potentially agree on Hogan and Flair. I, just, I wanted to reiterate again just to how much I hated Mark Madden on commentary. I agree. I so agree. Dan, was it Mark Madden or was it Conservative MP Philip Davis that was commenting about upskirting? Both. <laughs> I know one of them refused to vote against up, up, upskirting when it was... Uh, yeah, when it was Philip Davis, yeah. And another absolutely colossal sack of arseholes. Yeah. But yeah, I just... It was... Mark Madden's commentary, like I say, it was all... It was like a really bad Bobby Heenan impression and somehow a slightly skeevier Jerry Lawler. I don't know if it's just because I've not heard Lawler on commentary for a while. I and there's maybe a bit that. of recency bias. I think this is recency bias. I think Jerry Lawler has been horrific on some of the shows we've reviewed. Yeah, yeah. All right, fine. But then it's a bad. Then it's a a, a poor imitation of Jerry Lawler. Yeah, it just I, makes him even more irritating because he's not. He's just trying to copy it, and it's it's annoying as well. But I would much rather put the match in than him. Yeah, I don't want to give Matt Madden any undue attention beyond what we've already given him, just to say he's awful and terrible and a bit of a twat. Yeah. We haven't even mentioned that it was three times Smiley and Lane. Yeah, Sarah, you've not mentioned Norman Smiley. I can't believe it. Or Tori, really. You've just mentioned Tori in passing. I know. Well, this match was, it was going to be one of my, like I said, I wanted to mention this match in general. But yeah, Tori Wilson was going to get a mention with Kidman and that whole match. Stacey Keebler going into, you know, you said about Joe Lawler. I remember watching it must have been 2001 2002 raw or smackdown and the stacy keebler would they got her in like this bath or hot tub and she was shaving her legs and joe lawler was doing his usual thing going oh my god joe she's shaving her legs and my mum walked in and just kind of shrugged and just said you know because she heard the comment and said so what everybody shaved their legs and just walked off she was not impressed at all (laughs) (laughs) about what joe lawler was saying so when you mentioned Tori Wilson, are you referring to Billy Kidman and Vampiro versus La, La Parker and the artist, yeah, formerly known as Prince Ikea? 
Yeah, and Prince Iakea was uh, one to mention as well because he was obviously just Prince Iakea before he became formally known as. That match I thought was good and it built the feud with Kidman and Vampiro as well because Kidman, I think, got caught between Paisley and Tori outside having a bit of a cat fight. And obviously didn't get the tag with Vampiro. So that that was an interesting match, yeah. And I liked the the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea in general anyway, just because I saw him before. And it was great that they gave him this whole character and Paisley. I thought it was really good. That he, yeah, it was all, all very yeah. Prince inspired. We we covered his yeah. um, like the rebrand and the um and he had a very over the top entrance at one point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before they decided to cut costs. So this felt like a, a slight Certainly a downgrade in the entrance, but he had some really nice gear. He did feel like a downgrade in the entrance, but I thought that um, Paisley, a.k.a. Charmel, was given a little bit of time to shine in terms of the promos, that kind of thing with the backstage interviews. Definitely, definitely, yeah. She actually, we talk about maximising seconds rather than maximising minutes. She definitely made a presence felt in the uh, the promo very effectively. Yeah, and I'm, well, I've said it before on these episodes, I am sure that uh, Miho Abe has watched Paisley's performance on these episodes of Nitro for the work that she's done with uh, Tai Chi. It uh, would not surprise me. The other thing I loved about this is La Parker coming to the ring, playing the chair like a guitar. And I have to say it because one of my favourite moments in, in AAA, the English commentary team are sort of reading comments from the Twitch stream and they've got people who haven't really watched AAA before. And someone says, is La Parker the guy that's dressed like a skeleton? And the commentary team says, oh, no, no, he is a skeleton. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm glad this came up because in my notes I've got, like, I'll just read it out of a bit. And it's just like, oh, Pyro for Kidman and Tori and Toe just shut up and leave this one to Sarah. And then it's a <laughs> uh, big Pyro for Vampiro. And then La Parker with an exclamation mark, just shut up and leave this to Rob. so i'm glad that got a little mention i mean we've got two of the biggest names in mexican wrestling here with the original la parker and vampiro yeah i was always a la parker fan i thought he always came out and played the chair like for some reason i I didn't think that was anything new i thought he always came out and kind of did that thing with the chair or maybe i've just seen it later on no he does but this is the first time i've actually seen him in a match so we did see him Russo had him in his office when he was the powers at B, and he'd literally yeah. just stand on a chair. And if someone was kind of standing, so, you know, Roddy Piper would be standing up to Russo. La Parker would just sort of step down from the chair and take it in his hands. But, you know, sort of that menacing thing. But this is the first episode we've reviewed with La Parker actually in a match. Oh, okay. I will say as well, I did like the, uh, the diving DDT that the artist hit um, off the second rope for the finish. I thought Prince Iaka was really good, but the problem was he was so bland before this point. And yeah. then give him this gimmick, you know, and it's... I, I think Makes him interesting. Yeah, he deserved more in his career. Uh, a lot of these WCW guys probably deserve more in the career, you know. Um, not going to happen when WWE buy them out, but I really liked this iteration of Prince Iaka. Mm, I did as well. Yeah. So we uh, are we all agreed in putting uh, Flair and Hogan on then? <laughs> Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get the feeling that's what we're building to. I don't think I had any other, I mean, um, any, anything major to put in. The, the only other thing I would mention on this show, because I think 
you know, just, just needs a quick mention, is we have the match between Tank Abbott and Rick Fuller. And Rick Fuller is the one that gets an entrance. Tank Abbott stood in the ring. And yeah. Rick Fuller gets an entrance. Like, what the fuck? Tank Abbott goes out of the ring and attacks his former bodyguard, Big Al. And then he comes in the ring. He punches Rick Fuller. And he's on his way home while the referee's still counting Rick Fuller out. Yeah. Because he knew he was out. Yeah. He knew he was out. And you've said this before about having that gimmick of the one-punch man. And, and, you know, this has been... Loki had that gimmick in MLW where, you know, comes into the ring, knee to the face, he's off home. And, and this is exactly what Tank Abbott was doing. Mm. And as good as I think that idea is, again, it speaks to the production on this show because they then have the sit-down interview with Tank Abbott afterwards that explain what this beef is with Big Al. Yeah. It's like, why didn't yeah. you put that... Yeah. that segment earlier in the night and then later on have the match and have him attacking him he was just completely upside down i mean they're gonna have this skins on a pole match because tank cabot said he'd give big rick the um <sighs> his back and big rick said he's gonna take it off his back so they're gonna have an on a pole match for his leather jacket and, and it's good that they've got stakes because i hate it when it's just guys in pants fighting over to see who's the best guy in pants yeah but but they did it all wrong. They could have made more of this. They could have made it made more sense. And the last thing it made was sense. I agree. And- so, I mean, you say about the order they the were put on in, Rob, you know, you had the match first and then the sit-down interview, which, saying about the production values, was appalling because I could barely hear what Mike today was saying. I had to turn my TV up and then back down after it finished. But why the hell would you have a Tank Abbott interview and not have him do duck impressions? <laughs> Chris Tank Chris Abbott blatantly, <laughs> he, blatantly, he blatantly does his best in best work when he's occasionally just going whack whack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen to last week's episode, you want to hear Dan and Chris Bellis do lots of duck impressions of Tank Abbott doing duck impressions. I mean the other thing about this sit down interview with Mike Tanay was it was rambling. They didn't get to the point. It was just all sort of talking about what he'd done before and how much you could bench press and all this sort of stuff, you know. Just it needed to be more focused and it wasn't. Putting it before the match, it would have made sense of the match. Yeah, better to put it before and make it a little more focused, a little tighter. It would have been just a world better. Yeah. What what made me laugh was you mentioned this skins match. And I obviously don't remember this. So I'm thinking, oh, what's a skins match? And then they go on to reveal it's basically a jacket on a pole. So it's like, oh, it's not. I thought it was going to be like a whole new match that I, I couldn't remember or I'd not seen before. But yeah, it was a jacket on a it's, pole match. It's a game. It's a Game of Thrones tie-in where the the loser gets flayed alive by the Boltons. <laughs> I wasn't sure what it was going to be, but then he just went, "Well, I'm going to put this jacket out high above the ring, and whoever gets it, there you go." So I was like, "Oh, it's just a something on a pole match." I don't mind the idea of a jacket on a pole match. If we can have it demonstrated to us that both guys sufficiently care about the jacket, then I'm all on board with the jacket on the pole match. Yeah, yeah, there's a story there, yeah. But I think the problem was that they they weren't putting the right steps in place in the right order for that to happen. Having a match that has stakes is important in wrestling, but we have to explain why those stakes matter. Fair point. Doesn't yep. mean on a pole matches are good. 
<laughs> the wrestling matches that aren't good, Dad. All my dad will be talking about is Jackie Powell versus Mick McManus and Sting repelling from the ceiling. <laughs> we, we could spin a show out of that. We can. Def- definitely can. Yeah. So we've got our top five. Have we've we? got... Yeah. Yeah, we've got uh, Heel Luger, just the concept in general, slash Luger versus Terry Funk. We've got the WCW Hardcore uh, Championship, and specifically on this episode, Bam Bam Bigelow versus The War. We've got Booker, no tea, versus the Kiss Demon. We've got Ronda Singh versus Mona, and we have Hogan versus Flair. Fair enough. And uh, and uh, just throw out all of that, Mark Madden was a douchebag, so I'm taking that as it's on there. Yeah. <laughs> so now it's time for the advert section of the show. So in terms of adverts for the show, there was an advert for Scores Strip Club in New York. Oh, that's what Scores is. Yep. DDP's written a book. I don't know if he was in the strip yep. club when he wrote the book, but uh, <laughs> he's written a book. Obviously, we've got adverts for Kiss all over the show. <laughs> Roman Castrol GTX Drive Hard. Yeah, they were all over wrestling at this point. Yeah. And the 14th of April, Ready to Rumble. I've still oh. never seen Ready to Rumble. Oh, you have to Ready to Rumble and I've got I've still never seen No Holds Bad either, and I own it. Oh, damn. Wow. Get but I have but, tomorrow. What is this, what are you doing? But I have seen I have seen pro wrestlers versus zombies. Oh, okay. And I have seen I have just this year watched They Live. Oh, They Live's a classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. You would have had a really hard time choosing, Sarah, because you had advertised the opportunity to either meet Norman Smiley at the University of I Florida. Know. Or to meet Tori Wilson in Orlando. Definitely Tori Wilson in Orlando. Oh. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah would have made the earliest meeting of one and then driven like hell to try and meet the other. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I would. Yeah, it is a tough choice. I would love to meet Norman Smiley. But yeah, Tori takes it for me for obvious reasons. In terms of shout outs that we've had from the show, Andy from Bam Bam Podcast said, Monday is literally the new Saturday. It, it's not. It's figuratively the new Saturday, Andy. Um, <laughs> he's, he's starting off the day with UTT Podcast and he's finishing the day with Chain Wrestling Live. Yeah, that was. Uh, that sounds like a good day. I pretty much did the same thing. And uh, just uh, on a side note, um, Andy, just for mixing up literally and figuratively, uh, I believe I should step in for Steve and call you a dumb cunt. And also... Uh, a big shout out to Chain Wrestling for for going live, absolutely smashing their uh, the first episode and probably smashing five or six more by the time this airs. You did really great job, guys. Yeah, but Sam needs to grow the beard back. He will have by this point. He will have, yeah. <laughs> isn't it? With, that, with this delay, we have. He looked like Gandalf. Back time this goes out. <laughs> <laughs> Neil at Neil Ashted said that we should use our influence to try and get Spotify to add WrestleMania the album. We have no influence, Neil. I, I, I'm sorry, mate. <laughs> yeah. Love you, it's though, a great mate. suggestion. Yeah, it is. I just, um, 
Yeah, it, but it'll be it'll be great to see Neil again if and when uh, we can get back to Sheffield for a couple of shows in that warehouse with the god awful bogs. Chris at uh, Real Chris Bellis on Twitter, who was the guest last week, said that he was uh, listening to us while he was doing the vacuuming, and he'd spent the morning looking for Wing Commander Nash episodes on YouTube. Oh, he, he can't go wrong with a Wing Commander, Wing Commander Nash match. But, but he says he was listening to us while doing the hoovering. I'm assuming he had his headphones in, otherwise he just had us playing while drowning us out. Uh, Steve-O, at Total Steve-O, said that when he heard us on the podcast say that Booker T had said the phrase double elbow, he started doing an impression of Booker T saying double elbow, and then we'd spliced in an impression of him saying double elbow, baby, shucky-ducky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the only regret there is that he didn't have me or Chris Bellis to do the whack whack after it. Mags at Pop Father Mags said it was a great episode and Wing Commander Nash was a great guest. And he's absolutely right. And Wing Commander Nash is 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 fantastic. I, I've said before, you know, I consider him one of the most entertaining people in wrestling full stop. I knew he'd be a, a great fit for podcasting. So anybody out there who hasn't listened to, listen to the episode, please do. And then if you want Wing Commander Nash on your show, please do contact him. He deserves far more attention than he gets. He really does. Danny at Scottish Juggalo said that he died when Dan speculated that the reason that WCW was losing $5 million a month was that Kevin Nash was handing out PPE contracts for the British government. <laughs> yeah, I was proud of that. I was proud of that. And uh, I, like I, I, one thing, I don't think Danny actually did die. At least I hope he didn't. Otherwise, I've, uh, I'll, have, I'll have some work to do to fill a guest spot. And I had another point lined up, but I've just completely forgotten it. <laughs> so, yeah, brilliant. Cheers, brain. I was going to say, I've not even had any strong beers tonight. Cool, mate. Graham from At Good Cop, Bad Cop podcast said that Tuesday equals lacrosse practice equals UTT time and he posted a picture of his son Jackson in his lacrosse gear. I feel sorry for Jackson because Graham's going to be ignoring him while he's listening to us. Yeah. <laughs> or, he's, or Graham's going to laugh at something that we do at the exact moment that the poor lad you know, maybe does something wrong in practice or falls over it or something and he's just going to look up, he's going to be looking for his dad. And his dad's just going to be laughing at some dumb shit we said, and the kid's going to think that he's laughing at him. And to be fair to Graham, he had called out in that Hulk Hogan promo where he says the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, and I'd uh, called out his uh, lovely quote of Euclidean geometry. Uh, Graham said, geography. That quote is what makes UTT a five-star podcast. <laughs> For Graham. <laughs> He'll be very happy about that uh, Kiss bonus episode where we worked out what the ratings would have been. Oh, um, you really do put in the hard yards, Rob. You really do. Steve at Von Tugbot was mocking you earlier, Dan, because uh, the only research he does for Bang Bang podcast is go to Bottles and Books in Bristol and buy some beers and actually know what he's talking about rather than making any notes. Oh, no, that's horseshit for one because he pulls up Wikipedia quite a lot. <laughs> but you know, me and my me and my Swiss cheese and customer service adult brain need the crutch. I need to write things down. So now it's time for the award section of the show. So Sarah, so you're the guest. You can go first. Who or what would you give match of the night to? I would go Hogan and Flair. I really enjoyed it for reasons mentioned earlier. It was just vintage Hogan, vintage Flair. 
bad guy versus good guy. And it wasn't, like you say, it wasn't actually a bad match. It's nothing we've not seen before, but it wasn't bad in ring-wise. And I, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, I would go the same. I mean, the, the crowd were off the scale for that match. Especially. Yeah, yeah. You know, some of the bits that we've watched. What would you say, Dan? For the first time in a long time, and, and possibly for the first time ever, maybe, we're getting a clean sweep for match of the night. Yes. It's uh, it's Flair versus Hogan. It was the only match that got the crowd fully engaged. It was a greatest hits album, but like you said, just because yeah. we've seen it before doesn't mean it's bad. It did the job. Even I found myself just having a little grin. You know, yeah. even if even if it was at Hogan's ridiculous hairline at the point, and <laughs> and you know, and and just the whole daftness of the thing, it was still it was a classic, and it, and it it kind of leads into your point, Rob, when you said previously that Hogan is best done in sort of sporadic appearances. Yeah. He's a special talent. He doesn't need to be seen every week. And in fact, it's actually better when you don't see him every week. So you're not exposed to his shtick and, and the repetitiveness and, and for it to become stale. So yeah, Flair yeah. versus Hogan. Definitely. What would you give a moment of the night to Sarah? Dan mentioned it earlier, actually. So I was glad that he said he, he only considered it that his moment of the night. I thought that table with Terry Funk was brilliant yeah I love the match in general was good but I just thought that moment was great because it was like we said a, a gorilla press slam through the table yeah I, I give that my moment of the night excellent Dan what's yours well I gave moment of the night to the Terry Funk moonsault where he battered his shins Ooh. because you know Funk popping off a moonsault at 54 was incredible yeah. so I have to give moment of the night to Funk popping off a moonsault at 56 and yeah. yes he landed on his face I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say it was he was trying to hit his head on the uh, on the chair, but 56 years old doing a backflip off the top. What the actual funk? Yeah, you see, you two have been really logical with this uh, and given it to moments that actually deserve it. I am <laughs> to the moment that Disco Inferno took one step to the right and went from a backstage parking area to a wedding reception that wouldn't have been noticeable <laughs> had he not taken one step to the right. I've just Perfect. remembered, I did notice something stupid in the, um, but particularly stupid in the uh, the wedding segments, and it was when they were all dancing and there was no music playing. Yes, I didn't realise that at first. Yeah, it was just the amount of expense and time. You know, I mean, the <laughs> the value of prime time television. <laughs> Jesus, right. Who's your MVP of the night, Sarah? Uh, I give it to Hogan because it's his it's his match back. They've they've advertised a couple of points in the night. Oh, Hogan returns, Hogan returns, and he just got such a pop. Everything he did seemed to be golden for that crowd. So yeah, I give it to Hogan. Yeah, I, I've got to give it to Hogan too. Certainly felt a step above everyone else in terms of the fan engagement. What about you, Dan? I am the party pooper. There's no second clean sweep. <laughs> I am giving my MVP of the night to Tony Schiavone for putting up oh. with Mark Madden. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> and still doing an adequate job with that absolute twat waffle next to him. Yeah. Well, Sarah, most important award of the night, the René Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night. Who would you give that to? I thought I'd not mentioned her enough, so I gave it to Tori Wilson because she looked amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> She did, and her hair was lovely. Yeah, I can't disagree. In a non-ironic way, she had amazing hair on this show. 
normally we give these Renegou Lawyer Awards to awful Barnets, but no, I mean, she, she looked on point, really, didn't she? Yeah. 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 I was thinking of who else had a, a comedy haircut, but I thought, no, her head actually does look really nice on this episode. So I thought, yeah, I'll just give it to Tori. I, I mean, that, that is a logical answer for the actual best haircut of the night. That's not normally the way we go with this one, though. Um, so that... <laughs> In the true spirit of the award, I'm giving the René Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night to the person who most closely resembled René Goulet's haircut, and that is Hulk Hogan. Nice. <laughs> because, uh, more to the point, Hulk Hogan actually dispensed with the rag on his head um, you know, whatever it is, I'd do, but what would you what do you even call that headscarf, a do rag? Bandana. It's a bandana. Bandana. Yeah. Whatever, I don't know. I can't remember what he had on. It, he actually ripped it off himself and chucked it out of the ring. So yes. Hulk Hogan, like you know, certain wrestlers like Kurt Angle pulls down the straps like a lot of wrestlers do. Hulk Hogan, do you know what? You can see my balding head. I'm gonna fuck this guy up. Fair enough. I'm giving mine to the kiss demon. Because he had fake blood in his mouth and he, he, you know, he dribbled out of his mouth as was the gimmick. But he got a big wad of it in his hair and then when he's going around it's sort of whipping him in the face. I didn't um, see that. Yeah. So it's got to be the kiss demon for the big glob of fake blood he's got in his hair. <laughs> so Sarah, what would you give sign of the night to? My sign of the night definitely went to I still miss Ralphus. <laughs> <laughs> Ralphus, I love Ralphus, uh, head of Jericho Personal Security. So as soon as I saw that sign, that went on as my sign of the night. And we all still miss Ralphus. I I heard an interview with Chris Jericho and he he was saying that, you know, obviously he was working with Ralphus on TV and and Ralphus was one of the guys that drove the trucks, you know, with the ring and all the equipment. Yeah, yeah. And they'd go to house shows and Ralphus would just turn up. And Jericho would be like, what are you doing here? Oh, I've just turned up just in case you need me. <laughs> oh, he's, he's so amazing. And he's so, he deserved everything that he got. Like, I know he was made to look a bit stupid with the, the short little T-shirt that he had to wear. But he, he was loved by many, was Ralphus. And yeah, that, that was my sign of the night. <laughs> yeah, and, and he was so happy just being involved. You know, just yeah, generally. yeah. I mean, I would be. But... <laughs> I'd do that. I'd, I'd, I'd be El Hio de Ralphus. <laughs> <laughs> I'd turn up and have my belly hanging out in a tiny t-shirt just for the comedy pop. We will get you a tiny t-shirt. I'll, I'll just drag one out of my wardrobe. <laughs> I've put, put on about five stone in lockdown. <laughs> this is why I'm doing like four straight days at the gym now because, well, I don't wear myself because of lockdown. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't go for Norman Smiley equals ratings. That was one of the signs I saw. Uh, I didn't yeah. see it. I didn't see it. The, the other one that I did notice was Flair is my father, which is a bit weird. But he, he is notorious with women and having kids. So It was also, right. it was also one for you, Sarah. It was Tori being my Valentine. Oh, I didn't see that either. Why am I so... Yeah, I was, must have just been a bit blind with the, the signs. Unless I just saw the Ralphers one straight away and just wrote that down and was like, yep, that's my sign. To be fair, there should have been 8,160 Flair is my father signs in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's yours, Dan? All right, let's have a quick skeg through the show. In the Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan match, somebody literally just had a sign that said, Hogan, please retire. <laughs> Which 
the rest of the, the rest of the crowd's going crazy and this smarky wanker has to hold up you know hold up that it was like that was basically night that was basically 2000 twitter there was uh, a nod to the uh, the monday night wars in the bam bam bigelow versus the wall match where it just said chris benoit is on usa network um, yeah, he left. You got the title and then quit, didn't he? Like a few months beforehand, I think. Must have been around that time, yeah, because this is about the time the Radicals. Uh, yeah, debuted. him, yeah, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn, and, and Eddie went with him, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we covered that on the last episode. It was the last episode before the pay per view, and then mm. obviously he's gone the next night. Yeah. Mm. But back to signs Luger, in Luger and Funk, I think. I don't know if this might have been Jericho time travelling, but there was a sign that said Kevin Sullivan is a stupid idiot. <laughs> there was there was three signs I noticed very in very quick succession in the Ronda Singh versus Mona match. Uh, one was We Want Russo. Fair enough, mm. nice nod and very topical for the show. And again, very topical for the show, Raw is on at 11pm. Oh. And then, not topical at all for anything we've ever, did, ever discussed, Bestiality for life. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the uh, the sort of topical ones, there was you know your standard McMahon fears Hogan and stuff like that. Norman Smiley equals ratings. WWF sucks. Another nod to the radicals: Malenko, Guerrero, Saturn, Benoit, and then a really nice use of uh, Goldberg's catchphrase: "Who's next?" But I was. This isn't my sign of the night. I'm just really concerned. Because this episode was obviously going out on Valentine's Day. And somebody, and I'm pretty sure it was the same person, had taken the time to make two signs. And one of them said, hey, whore. And the other one said, liar, whore. Which makes me think that somebody bought Valentine's Day, you know, a Valentine's Day present of tickets for Nitro. And then got dumped or cheated on or something. And they were just having a very bad time. But decided to take the time to make these signs to display on television in hopes that presumably the Rex was watching and whoever that was I hope you got past that time and it just didn't ruin you as much as those signs suggest it was worrying watching 20 years later but my actual sign of the night is and it goes back to the Flair Hogan match and it's just because it's the one sign that made me really laugh some again smarky as hell but somebody held up, held up a sign saying I hope this is a retirement match <laughs> Brilliant! Wow. I missed that. <laughs> that was a bit of a Shaggy Dog story to get to that punchline, but <laughs> uh, we'll we'll come back to Shaggy Dog stories uh, at the end of these signs. Uh, so the, there was a few I noticed. Where's Silver King? I've asked that myself. I, I don't think we're going to hit any of the episodes that is on the ones that we review. It's a um, there was a sign for the in- insane clown posse. I mean, how bad? Has WCW got that they want the insane clown posse to come back? I wanted to point that out to Wing Commander Nash, just given his fury for the ICP. Do you remember that episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns is looking for his childhood bear, Bobo? Yes. There's a sign that says Bobo and an arrow pointing down the person that's holding it. So that must have aired around about this time. No, that, that Simpsons episode's from 92. But obviously, they, oh. you know, they're, they're in repeats, aren't they? And so this episode is going head-to-head with the dog show, as we've said. That's why Raw's going to be on late. And there was three signs in the crowd. I want to see the dog show. I'm taping the dog show. And just watch the dog show. Oh, my God. 
I'd completely forgotten about the dog show tie-in. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to have to go with a dog show-related one, because obviously that's what's yeah. going ahead again. I want to see the dog show, uh, and that'll um, I may come back to that uh, a bit later on. So, Sarah, what would you rate this show out of 10? I forgot about this bit, so I'm doing it literally off the top of my head now. 4.5. Dan? Yeah. Fair enough. I'll do my usual little uh, little ratings ramble. And it, we, we've said before about formats and the way the show's laid out and the sort of very Russo-Ferrara way of sprinkling stories throughout the show and interweaving it. This show felt like a modern Raw in the worst way possible. It was a long-winded promo to start a three-hour show. The matches, there was nothing completely terrible in the matches. But apart from Flair versus Hogan, and, you know, the, the hardcore title stuff, given the fact that we've not seen it before, and the women's match just for the fact that we hit so few, there was nothing majorly memorable. Yeah, the opener was fine, and it, and it, and it was cool seeing the Luchador stuff, but... I forgot about it until a good way into this, you know, into this into this show. And the best example of a story being sprinkled relatively evenly throughout the show is the Mameluke stuff, which was disjointed, continuity bullshit, leading to a rushed nothing match that involved three tag teams that was done in like seven minutes. A match doesn't have to be long to be good, but it has to be coherent, and that just wasn't. And, it, you know, so much of this show just had people sat on the hands. You know, it was bookended by Jarrett, who got nothing from the crowd. Even Sid, you know, Sid didn't get a lot. The crowd only popped, like I said, for Flair and Hogan for their greatest hits album. Mark Madden was fucking awful. Yeah. And that's saying, and that's saying, I'm saying that on a show with Oklahoma, <laughs> <laughs> which which is just incredible. But, you know, Shivoni did his best. But going back to three hours just made it feel like a slog. And like like I've said, it you know it felt like a raw in the worst way, in that so much of it felt disposable and mediocre. Not even offensively bad, just mediocre. It was it was ahead of its time in a bad way. So with that in mind, the matches I've given a five out of ten. Only one outstanding. It's dragged up by the crowd reaction to Flair and Hogan within that match. Like I said, it was a great state. So you know it got a smile from me, but so much of it was just. I said nothing bad but nothing outstanding the promos nothing majorly bad but nothing outstanding the production had its faults but like you know the commentary was a particularly bad point sound issues things of that nature but we were told up front so it kind of mitigated it for me but so that gives it maybe it gives it a five tops even with the continuity well, I didn't notice that when I gave these ratings out. But like I said, it's a five, possibly a four. Storyline. There was plenty of storylines in the show that just weren't presented in the most engaging way. You know, it was they tried. So for the quantity, it was fine. It wasn't very well executed. So it was, again, it's probably it's a, probably a five or a six. And the family was they were sat on their hands all night. They only they get dragged up to a four just because of the way. The pop for Hogan and Flair. So that leaves it around about a four and a half out of ten. A four and a half, five out of ten. I've given it a four and a half out of ten as well, so that's a clean sweep on the four and a half out of ten. The thing with this show is, yeah, it had the Hogan and Flair match, and yeah, it had the, the Funk and Luger match, and 
those elements kind of pull it up a little bit, but the continuity was all over the place. We've spoken before about shows having the bingeability factor. Not only was there no bingeability factor on this show, this show went head to head with the dog show. And I spent an inordinate amount of time while I was watching this trying to find clips of the 2000 Westminster dog show. <laughs> and I'm not joking. I know you're not. Guy. You know, you know and, and it was literally, I, uh, there were parts of the show where I would rather have watched the Westminster dog show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. It's it's united us all in how, and this thing it's not even offensively bad because even even when stuff's terrible, they can find entertainment value in it. This is yeah. I tell you what this is, Rob. This is the nitro equivalent of Alex Gracie walking out in front of a South Side crowd to cricket. It's so funny that though, isn't it? Because he got a reaction in WCPW. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, but I mean, literally that one incident where we're just like watching, going, okay, do something. Make, make us care. Uh, it didn't do anything particularly bad. It didn't do anything particularly good. There was just no reason to give a two fucks. Yeah, I think that's just the worst crime you can ever commit is to not be bad or excellent. It's just to be just dull and boring. No one actually cares. So no one's speaking about it because it's bad. No one's speaking about it because it's good. It's just there. And it's a shame, really. The problem with this is, I mean, I very much enjoyed the Russo and Ferrari era. I think it's fair to say that Dan was conflicted over it. I think you enjoyed one of them and hated the other. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but I enjoyed one of them when I sort of, my preconception before we started this podcast is that I would hate it. You know, hate it all. We feel right back where we were with those Sullivan and Taylor episodes that were an absolute chore to get through. Yeah. And I, I really hope, Rob, that you're following through on it this time and this is the last three hour Nitro. <laughs> I believe it is. I believe it is. <laughs> At least there'll be less to watch. <laughs> Would it surprise you that the community vote on cage? Well, no one on cage matches rated this one. To be perfectly fair, <laughs> I'm going to default to wrestling data, and they gave it two out of five, which equals a four. Bearing in mind they don't have the half ratings, we're pretty much all in the ballpark. Yeah. Nobody despised this episode. Nobody rated it too highly. People say dry toast is bang average, but this was dry toast that was slightly too over or underdone, depending on your preference. So, Sarah, where can people find you? On Twitter. So, I'm at Turd Ferguson, generally tweeting about wrestling, dogs, gaming, and just stuff in my life. So, yeah, if you want to give me a follow, I will definitely follow back. Excellent. With that dog interest, we may look to do a bonus episode on the 2000 Westminster Dog Show. I would love that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very little of it remains, unfortunately. 2001, all over it, but the one that went head-to-head with this Nitro, there's very little on YouTube. Dan, where can people find you? So where can people find you, Dan? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21. Uh, I'll be tweeting wrestling that's a minimum, minimum six weeks out of date, and movies that are 25 years out of date, and just general stupid crap that happens to me because my life is a meme. But more than happy to follow back as usual. Uh, you can also find me on the monthly pay-per-view reviews of that 90s wrestling podcast, which you can listen to at 90s Wrestling Pod. Excellent. You can find me on those podcasts as well. You can find the show on that channel, the Night Wrestlers podcast. Alternatively, you can find it on our own channel, um, UTT Podcast on Booking the Territory. Uh, you can find me at UTT Rob. 
more about mutuals and followers so absolutely more than happy to follow back if you choose to follow so next time we're going on to the lowest rated episode of this creative period so that's going to be interesting oh dear god well <laughs> technically not the lowest because we're not doing the clip show but second lowest oh great i feel so much better thank you for listening when dustin rhodes is in the ring you're watching years of experience remember I didn't learn this stuff overnight, and neither can you. You be careful and take care of yourself. Leave the rough stuff to the pros.